Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the next episode of the Credit Crunch podcast, part of the FICC Focus uh, podcast stream. This is Mahesh Bemalingam, Chief European Credit Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LLP. Uh, so we are we regularly feature our investor survey, which is quarterly. Uh, so as most of you listeners are familiar, we've already done uh, three this year. And so welcome to the fourth. So we got the survey results, the high yield investor survey. I mean, it's essentially a credit survey. Uh, but with a high yield focus. So we got the 4K survey results and we are going to discuss the results along with our outlook. Joining me today is our uh, my partner in crime uh, <laughs> regularly, George Flynn, head of credit at Wise Alpha and also founder of uh, European High Yield Online. Welcome, George. Welcome. Thank you very much. So over to you in yes. terms of uh, what do we discuss now? Okay, so overall, the survey kind of is a continuation of the team themes that we saw in uh, Q3. So one of the things was the survey, you know, continues to see positive returns uh, for the quarter. So what I wanted to do is get you to set the scene really in terms of year-to-date returns, your full year predictions. So basically where you think we end up and sort of your expectations around the drivers. Obviously, we'll get into detail on those a bit later. Yeah, thank you. So what has credit done this year? Uh, unlike the disaster that 2022 was, we did forecast at the beginning of the year that we see pretty good total returns in credit, uh, both IG and and high yield. IG, we were talking about, you know, two and a half to three percent for full year. This is what we published in December last year, by the way. And uh, we were pub- we were talking about something like five to five and a half in high yield. Now, what have we done year to date? Year to date, we've hit those numbers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, investment grade is around 2.6% year to date total return, and high yield is around 5.5% year to date total return, like spot on with what we've done. But that was for full year, though. So, that brings us to the question what do we see for the rest of the year? Now, we also have excess returns to discuss because how much of those total returns was spread component and how much was rates component? Now, interestingly, we did predict that uh, spreads are going to rally this year and uh, excess returns year to date are 1.6% investment grade and about 4.3% high yield. So spreads have compressed from the whites last year in October. Uh, We've had a pretty solid rally. Now, what do we believe that uh, credit will bring, particularly in high yield for, for fourth quarter? I think it is going to be less compression and more carry. So the game is more of a carry game. The rates component, I mean, it is getting a bit diverse in terms of what uh, will happen to rates. There is the camp that says that, you know, the, the Fed tightening is going to lead to a potential recession, mm-hmm. uh, small recession, not, not major. And that could actually make yields dive uh, going into 2024. Now, but I think in the near term, the general forecast is that yields could be slightly wider. So on the rates component, you're going to get 
eating into total returns. Luckily, in high yield, we are much shorter duration, uh, duration of three. Now, so that should help. But the, but the fact remains that uh, the rates component probably is a negative. The spread component is probably going to be flat. So we're going to get probably slightly carry negative returns. Okay. So what is carry right now? Carry right now is about, if you look at yield, it is about 8.2% in high yield, quite hefty, yeah. uh, which is why investors have forecasted uh, positive returns in our survey. Now, but obviously you're not going to get all that 8.2% in, uh, in that quarter because pull to par is not going to happen in a quarter, right? So if you look at the coupon, the coupon is about 4.1%, price of about 88%. So current yield, we are looking at about four and a half. So in a quarter, 1.1% carry. So I'm thinking about one or just under one for fourth quarter. Okay, perfect. And then just looking at the um, uh, spreads. Um, so what we've seen in the survey is, is uh, respondents essentially seeing spreads as getting richer over the last three quarters when I think if you were to look at the kind of normalized spreads, uh, they've probably been quite range bound. Um, so what what are you thinking about that? Very interesting question. So spreads have compressed strongly in the first quarter and second quarter and they've been a bit sort of calm and flattish in yeah. third quarter. So what has happened is, you know, if you're looking at it on a strategic normalized spread basis, like a 12 month horizon, yeah. <clears throat> We are going from, we are leaving the very volatile periods last year and wall is going down. So you're getting right a wash through. So we're, so wall is going down and, and as a result, that is why people believe that returns are going to be positive, but are, am I getting compensated for the upcoming wall? Mm -hmm. You see, if a realized wall has been low, I agree. Yeah, but yeah. I think upcoming wall, particularly through rates, uh, is the key concern. And I think probably for that, you're not getting compensated. So even using historic wall, spreads are about minus 0.8 standard deviations, means 0.8 standard deviations rich. Yeah, so, so slightly, slightly expensive. So the numbers agree with what the survey has said. And I'm, and I'm also in the camp that it is not a cheap play, given that wall is going to be more in yep. 4Q than and in 3Q. I guess that's kind of the survey responses remain pretty defensive. In general, in general. Okay, so just looking at, you know, portfolio uh, positioning overall. So we're still, you know, slightly underweight. And overall, the trend has been to be underweight throughout the, the year. When do you think there's going to be a turning point? Because at the moment, it seems we're, you know, we're, we're getting more of the same in terms of the outlook is, is fairly defensive. So when do you think that begins to turn? Uh, the thing is... You know, the macroeconomic situation is still quite uncertain, particularly with the Fed uh, keeping rates higher for longer. I think that's a certainty now. now. The question is, are they going to hike one more? There is a decent probability of that being priced into the markets right now. So there is that. And at the same time, economic uh, scenario, particularly in Europe, is still... I, I, I'm not saying that there is going to be a recession. The economic forecasts are for you know, mild growth and then picking up in 2024. In that sort of a situation, if rates are going to stay very high, it's very difficult for a portfolio manager to to stay gung-ho overweight. Yeah. Because this sort of environment with very high rates and uh, lowish growth will get into portfolio stress in a high-yield portfolio, right? So yep. 
that explains why people have gone a bit more underweight. I mean, we were close to flattish yeah. last quarter. Yeah, yeah. They've gone a bit more underweight now, given that we've seen about 1.8% performance last quarter. Now, corporate earnings, rate hikes, um, these are the top the top uh, drivers in the survey that uh, people are looking at. Um, you just touched on rates just a second ago. So can you just maybe talk about rate steepening? Because there's a lot of headlines around that. And can you sort of explain how that feeds through uh, in the credit world? Right. Well, good question. Now, there are two camps in this again. Now, if you're going to believe that inflation is going to be very high for a long time, and hence the Fed will need to hike once or more, then you're going to have a situation where the curve will will actually bear flatten, not steepen, mm-hmm. right? The front end will front end is going to go, go up, up more. more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is not a great look. In that scenario, particularly any growth related asset class, whether it is equities or us in high yield, we're not going to do well. Now the other scenario is we're going to have a probable mild recession, mild or everything is great. And hence the Fed starts cutting, right? Uh, 2024 mid is start is already being priced. Now, if that curt recession as a soft landing scenario, that's that's what uh, people are talking about. If the a proper good soft landing happens, you're going to have fantastic bull steepening. And in a bull steepening environment, credit does well. Equities do even better. Uh, credit does well because the front end goes down. Overall curve goes down, but the long end rallies a bit less, but the front end rallies a lot more. And given that high yield is a front-ended uh, bucket, uh, you're going to have pretty good performance if that scenario plays out. If you you need to be a very serious economic bear to expect rampant yield tightening, which is a possibility, by the way. So you know, U.S. At, uh, Treasury ten-year at uh, you know, close, getting close to five right now, yeah, right? Yeah. So if you believe that the five is going to go towards a four or a three point eight. There are some people in that camp, by the way, depending on the Fed tight monetary policy feeding all the way into the economy and hence uh, causing it to shrink. In that case, also you're going to get an yield tightening. But that that is going to be a bit more of a bearish yield rally. In that, I'm not sure how, how we, are, we are going to do well in high yield. For It's great for rates, not for us. The ideal scenario is the soft landing, inflation calms down, the Fed doesn't need to do anymore, and hence eventually in uh, in 2024 second half they start cutting. Uh, in that scenario, it will play very well, very well for us. And in terms of duration uh, and kind of positioning across the curve and the, the excess returns across the curve, can you just quickly give me your thoughts on those? In, in such a scenario, uh, where would you be rates versus credit? Effectively, that's the question, right? Yeah. So if you look at the scenarios that I have painted, it's it clearly seems like rates are going to be very volatile. And as of now, you can clearly see, uh, you know, looking at the rates market employed wall and credit employed wall through the ETF option option market. Mm -hmm. I mean, the ITRAX options don't trade that actively. So if you look at both, it's very clear credit is very, very mildly volatile compared to rates. It's It's like an order of magnitude. Right. So with rates being so volatile, if I'm a fixed income portfolio manager, I think you should be looking at credit to stay because of, you know, pretty 
hefty excess carry we play yeah. i'm talking about investment grade here because that's the bigger market yeah. and even into high yield you know you do get paid and we are definitely not as volatile as rates uh, so in terms of uh, portfolio allocation at a higher level i think uh, credit should be benefiting for from more flows i am more worried about like this the 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 full scale resistance scenario yep uh, that's the bigger worry with credit credit spreads they have a, a strong relationship with with rates fall is that fair to fair to say and and what is that relationship you, it, it is a positive one uh you know if you look at i mean for fundamental finance 101 credit is essentially a your short a put option yep on the equity wall the equity wall itself is a function of rates wall so i would like to think that you know generally when wall goes up you should expect credit spreads to widen but rates wall has been trading independently to the rest of uh, the yeah. market's wall as we know i mean even people like jb jamie diamond have have uh, commented on that mm. is like in a different zone right now so in, in such a scenario especially given like significant uncertainty on rates i think credit is i wouldn't call it a safe haven it is sort of best of both worlds Yeah okay we like that best of both worlds um now on to cash um positioning so cash positioning still remains relatively low so 5.2% versus 4.9% um last quarter so no real no real change relatively defensively positioned so i mean what are you thinking about that as a as a kind of quantum and the amount of cash that could be put to work this ties in with that portfolio positioning question at the start yep. you know that mild underweight they have gone so essentially clients have gone slightly more underweight than last quarter and that is clearly showing here in terms of cash there is a bit more cash yeah. than before so 4.9 to 5.2% why given uncertainties in the market particularly on the rate side i think it completely makes sense by you know staying a bit more light and then they will be able to shoot if and when things go i mean really good i, I think probably i would be doing the same Yep. you know i think and by the way cash pays nowadays it is not it is not yeah, like the, before right cash cost to carry is uh, cash gone. pays i mean whether it is pa or whether it is your you know an institutional investor cash pays yeah i mean cash carry nowadays if you are an institutional investor you are probably talking about 3 3.5% yeah not bad at all yeah yeah hmm. um now then zero defaults that was basically what the reality of q3 um and we had an expectation for for two and a half um and now we've you know we're continuing uh, to see an expectation for uh, two and a half defaults in the uh, coming quarter so one question i have is um about the distress ratio um uh, second question is going to be around restructurings and how you how you capture those because obviously they don't necessarily count as a default if it's an amend and it extend um you know how 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 many defaults are kind of you know escaping uh due to kind of restructurings um and then you know finally just in terms of uh the rating bands where the distressed ratio is currently so basically is it all triple c or you know has it has it have you seen more um come down from sort of single b okay so it's a multi legged question so the first thing the defaults we're talking here in this question are index defaults and when we say index defaults the bond needs to be in the index and it needs to be kicked out due to a uh, default reason yep. so 
and the index rules as of now are that if you have a default issue whether it is because of bankruptcy failure to pay uh, so on and so acceleration of payments whatever you will be kicked out once the grace period is done so stuff that is even rated d and st are staying for a bit longer that's mm -hmm. the first thing yep second if there is a fully voluntarily voluntary agreement uh, by the bondholders uh, like the conciliation story in casino the bond stays even though they are trading at yep, you know exactly. one and a, they are trading one and a half cents on the euro right so they are still in the index so casino is not counted as of now even though it is in the candidates list for the future yep so that is why there is the default rate in the last quarter was zero there were zero defaults yep the 12 month default rate is running at about 0.23% right now that's the first thing now the next thing is what do we see in terms of distress now that was your second question now one way to measure distress is market pricing and how much of the market is trading under 60 4.95% to be precise we actually published it two days back yeah, nice. <laughs> and 4.95% is pretty close to uh, last 5 6 year highs the stress ratio though bonds trading between 60 and 80 right and if you add that up with this 4.95 yeah, yeah. is actually not that bad it is, so the total is about 15% that number is okay so is the overall market stressed not as much not unlike last year september yep but the distress ratio is about 4.95% now the other way of looking at distress is who are all the names that are rated very low like close to default yep so if you count triple c minus to d you are going we are looking at about five names including casino by the way yep right so if all of them default today for example you're going to get a maximum default rate right if all the candidates default today we are looking at 2% i mean it's unlikely that yeah. they are all going yeah, to yeah. default you know to maintain the within that 12 month period so i cannot see index default rate above 2% just to give you context the pandemic default rate peak was 1.8% that's when the world shut down yeah borrowing was easy i give you that yeah, yeah. but businesses shut down there was essentially uh complete lockdowns some businesses completely didn't have any revenue you know in that sort of a scenario we are looking at 1.8% so i struggle to see anything beyond that in terms of index default rate and the last leg of your question was on how many companies are escaping default but are like zombies yep uh, due to restructuring and so on i mean casino is one case right so this conciliatory agreement because the government got involved we got uh, an agreement bonds are trading at one and a half uh, but they are not counted as a default so that that's one example so are restructurings going up yes particularly in the loan market the loan market default rate is also you know 0.5 0.52% even there it is not yeah. really high so looking at both leverage finance markets high yield and loans you're not seeing a lot amend and extend there are a few mm -hmm. there probably will be more in the loan market i yep. mean you can't do amend and extend in 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 bonds right uh, but in the loan market you can not a lot so 
yes rates will go up i i'm, I'm thinking probably the loan default rate will probably hit 2 2% while in the high yield market we are probably going to hit 1.5% at the peak this time but not more than that and just in terms of the spread implied uh, default rate what's the market rate telling people it you know what what's the default rate that's baked in yeah it's always i mean it's always a big uh, miscalculation when people look at spread and then directly back out default rates from that because you are not paid only for default rate if in credit right default rate is just one component yeah you got the you're you got no you the main component is mark to market risk yep. you're paid for wall uh, and if you're investment grade you're paid for getting junked you're not paid for defaults because their defaults don't yeah, exist exactly right so if you look at the easiest way is you got the crossover crossover is trading at about 460 now 465 year if you back out the cumulative implied cumulative default rate you're going to end up with something like 27ish percent yep nice try right <laughs> so so it is always it is always a complete misnomer to to use spreads and calculate i mean how many how many crossover names have defaulted in its entire history i've been part of it since its birth right two yeah i was going to say not many not but yes yeah, so lionel basel and one more company but that's it um but the 27% that's cumulative so like cumulative five year yeah yeah so you're one so you're, you're looking one, at 5% yeah but your one year would be roughly what would you five but uh it depends on the one year crossover yeah. i don't think it trades though yeah uh but let's let's say one year trades at like i don't know what 350 yep right if that is the case uh, you are looking at you know you back that out 40% recovery it will be about 6 7ish percent yeah so yeah, still, you're not going to get so, that. so still multiples of so 6 7% yeah. on 75 names is we are talking about five names no way right so uh, now let's get on to supply so basically expectations of 13.3 billion um in issuance index uh supply this is what we're talking about so can you just talk about it in terms of um you know the cash uh, balance that we talked about a little bit earlier sort of what what's the quantum of demand that you you see and kind of also you know put the 13.3 in context sort of historically so the question we ask investors is how much of index eligible supply do you see next quarter and we in the in the in the res, in the results research that we publish we show both mm-hmm. we show investor expectation and we show reality in terms of index eligible issuance that has happened you know the historically it has been the case that in bull markets the survey consistently underperforms reality in bear markets it seems to outperform but nowadays they are they are pretty close actually so the survey is just below reality i mean q3 surprisingly in terms of gross issuance uh index eligible issuance beat the survey not bad yeah q2 wasn't bad as uh, q2 was bad q2 was below q1 once the reality was much higher than uh the survey now for q4 my view is i think at 13.3 billion you're probably thinking it is a bit uh, is a bit rose tinted yeah it's going to be a struggle i'll explain why the par weighted coupon of non financial high yield issuers 
is around 3.4% higher than, uh, sorry, is 3.4% below the yield. So yep. yields are 3.4% above. So, so refinancing you, is very refinance. So if any <laughs> any bond is about to expire and you need to reissue, you need to pay 3.4% more. It's a bit much. Yep. Now, what has that led to? That has led to, I mean, we spoke about gross supply till now. If you look at net supply, I thought 2022 is the worst we can get. Not true. 2023 is almost as bad. Yep. Net supply has been negative. Heftily negative, by the way. Uh, so if you get a zero net supply month, it will be sort of celebration if you can replace. So net supply for Q4, I suspect will be negative. Yep. Given 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 level. So that brings us to the question: Can supply be digested? Oh, handsomely, because there isn't much supply. As yeah, as yeah. we just said, if it is negative net supply or zero, uh, I don't think the market is getting pressured in high yield. That's the yep. first thing. So strong technical. Strong technical. This is not even thinking of fund flows because it is negative net supply. But fund flows are actually positive. So if you look at if you look at overall this year, Q1, Q2, and Q3, uh, fund flows overall into high yield have been positive. Yes, investment grade has been getting a better deal. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's difficult to track though. Investment grade, you, you need to realize bulk is held by, you know, Treasury, uh, treasuries and banks, insurance portfolios, uh, you know, sovereign wealth funds, blah, 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 for which we don't have data. Mm. But in high yield, the the moving part of the market, we do. Yep. Uh, investment grade, we cover about, let's say, 9%. High yield, we cover more than 20%. Yep. So we can see that the fund flows are positive. Uh, and so digesting the supply will not be an issue. Uh, the issue, question is, Will issuers come, come up with supply? Yeah. And the same problem is happening in loans too. So loan net supply is also tiny. And there they have a cap to buyer, by the way, in the CLO market. Yeah. And despite and because the CLO investors, because of what they're seeing in terms of macroeconomic risks, the CLO transpreads are not dropping. They're very stubborn. Mm -hmm. Market is rallying, high yield and loan market, but the transpreads are staying where they are which means CLO arbitrage is going down and hence not enough CLOs are getting printed, which yep. means the CLOs are not pulling enough loan supply. So loan net supply is also dwindling along with high yield. But, but between the two markets, high yield is having a better deal because it's got high yield is lower yield than loans. Mm -hmm. To issue a loan, it costs you about a one, one and a half percent more. And just in terms of, I, I guess, the maturity will, um, I mean, do you have any kind of thoughts on yep. the maturity wall, what that means for supply? And yep. then also, when do you think, if, if you put your corporate treasurer hat on, yep. when when do you think would be a good time or when do you expect it to get easier for companies to actually start issuing? Yeah, that is a very, the, the first part of your question is a hyper popular client question. I think it was asked last week itself. The, what is the maturity wall in high yield? And if you look at the index, by the way, uh, for people uh, for people actively listening even at this time, please don't use the index today, right? If you use the index today, it is not going to show you any bonds because the index rule itself is uh, yeah. the bond goes out of the index one year in advance. So you need to look at one year before and then see what is outstanding now right and include them with today's index and i can tell you 2024 
the maturity wall is next to nothing. It's yep. like 4 billion. But 2025, more importantly, 2026. 25 and 26, there is a lot of debt. And interestingly, it is not a bell curve. It is very front-ended. So 25 and 26 are a huge wall. And after that, it drops off. So if things don't ease off before 2025, we are going to have a problem. Yeah. Now, luckily, if you heard the first part of our, the, our podcast, I think even if we are going to enter this mega recession scenario yeah. or the soft landing scenario, you'll be okay. I think next year yields are going to be lower. 2024 highly likely will be a good year for credit investors, mm -hmm. but also for issuers because yields are lower. They should be able to pump. Yeah. I expect 2024 now, by the way, I haven't published my 2024 outlook. I can clearly foresee 2024 will be a strongly positive net supply. Yep. Okay. That That's fantastic. Now, um, we're going to get on to probably, I think, the most interesting queue um question that we we had so basically um high yield versus ig um last time uh investors were you know the relative value was shouting for investment grade over high yield this time high yield is uh, edging it so can you just tell me what's going on i think before we we sort of celebrate that it is high yield time it's not true it it's the high yield has just aged it in terms of uh investor sentiment and i think in terms of my view or in terms of what I think will happen, especially given rates, yeah, I do think it will be an edge. It's not going to be a gong-ho beat. That's the first thing. Yep. But, but I mean, has the relative value for IG really changed that much? So let's talk about that. So investment grade and high yield both have record break-evens right now. Yep. Now, that's not the credit of uh, spreads. It's credit to yields, right? So once you... Once you take off the yield component and then look at just excess return break-evens. Excess return break-evens are also very high, by the way. So high yield, 91st percentile. Uh, investment grade, 90th percentile. Now, if you look at the break-even ratio between investment grade and high yield, it's about 2.7, 6th percentile. So investment grade still looks good, yep. but it is all because of underlying rates. In terms of excess return, probability, and so on, solid, uh, but it is not at the same level as total return break-even. Just, just, just yeah, so that, yeah, yeah. just so that our investors and uh, listeners it's get clear, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, in terms of total return break-evens, it is at an all-time record. Yep. In terms of excess return break-evens, you are looking at very strong possibility, but it is not guaranteed. Uh, so, in that sort of a scenario, I get it. That because of the carry and because low defaults, people think that high yield will beat IG, but only just. Only just. So like look at the look at the carry in investment grade, right? It is still four and a half percent. Yeah. Four and a half percent. It pays one hundred and sixty basis points, and there's not going to be any default. All the, there are no fallen. By the way, just like defaults, we obviously we publish on fallen angels and rising stars. But guess what? Two thousand twenty-two. Putin. And all the bad news in the market, more rising stars, lot more rising stars than fallen angels. 2023, story still continues. It is still more rising stars than fallen angels. We are not seeing this raft of fallen angels that people are worried about. The last time it happened, 2020 and 2021 early. 
after that, it's been rising stars. So, which, which ties into the earnings and, and basically when we think earnings are going to start softening. When do you think that happens? That, by the way, we do track bond index fundamentals. And when we published that, the shock that we had was investment grade leverage has slipped in the last earnings cycle. So you can argue, yeah, it is all starting to bite now. You know, this high yield environment, yeah. inflation is starting to bite. Big company, you know, good quality company earnings, yes. The little company, bad quality company is being very smart. They are not issuing. Yeah. Remember, we just spoke about negative net supply. And because of negative net supply, leverage held. I mean, you would expect these little companies, highly levered companies to have a bad time, much more, much worse time than the investment grade companies. Not true. Leverage held in, in the recent cycle. Why? Because debt dropped or rather debt did increase. Investment grade companies have to, you know, reissue. They've bitten the bullet. Investment grade positive net supply all through. Obviously, it's not as high as, you know, 2021, 2020 and so on. But investment grade had net supply. High yield did. We shrank. Yep. And as a result, the credit metrics actually held in junk. So when will they slip? They are sort of starting to slip, but it is not like a big slip as in the US. If you look at them, I think that's our next question, by the way. Yep. In the US, you are seeing a much bigger slip because they're they're like hooked on to debt as a drug. Yep. Unlike us. Here, Europeans mm. tend not to issue. Any amended tends not to be uh, debt fueled, right? It tends to be equity fueled, cash fueled, blah blah blah. Uh, there, it's heavily debt fueled. Shareholder buybacks, funded by debt. We don't get that. Just in terms of the dispersion. So, if 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 you're looking at investment grade and we're looking at high yield, the mm. spread spread dispersion across mm. the universe has that widened. Are you seeing that increase, or basically, when you have this earnings decline, which is maybe just starting? Mm. You know, what's the linkage between that and the spread dispersion? Right. We do track dispersion. We publish on that very popular bit. The easiest way to track is using main and crossover, right? Yep. Because it's one name, one spread. Yep. So, and if we track that, dispersion spiked in the banking crisis in investment grade because of banks. Yep. And then it has come down and it has stayed very low. So, in, in blue chip companies dispersion is as good as it gets right now they despite this weakening in uh, results that you've seen it's more or less telling you that all of them are moving together exactly See, what does dispersion tell you dispersion tells you all of them might be having a bad time but they're all having a bad time together this is what happened during putin yep. dispersion stayed low in pandemic dispersion completely went bonkers exactly so this is investment grade high yield once you take off casino because it trades on its in its own space, uh, dispersion there is controlled too. The, it is in the 80s, 80 percent, while investment grade is in the is 58, 59 percent. Uh, it hasn't gone up. Dispersion hasn't gone up, and we track it daily, more or less. And do you think it's a fair measure of sentiment to fund to fundamentals? You, you know, as because relative value is you know, obviously becomes more obvious as your dispersion Correct. increases. Correct. And at the moment, it seems that you're saying, you know, we don't have that it's, dispersion. Yeah, that, it, therefore, you know, you could buy anything and, and get up. Very good point. It's essentially saying, worry about systemic risk in idiosyncratic risk 
not yet yep so especially if you look at investment grade it's all systemic risk dispersion is extremely low uh high yield for its for its universe is also historically low so i mean i wouldn't say historically lowest uh but you know 80% you can live with that yeah uh i mean you still need i mean as a high yield portfolio manager you still need to pay attention to your dodgy names but as i said there are five or six triple c minus and below in fact triple c and below in the entire index there are only like 7.3% just forget them yeah yeah so get it of the 7.3 sleep well at night yeah and <laughs> and then and then you know just be beta long the remaining 92% you're done yeah yeah, yeah. right Happy and days. the market is telling you so dispersion is low as of now yep. or low enough yep now uh, european high yield is marginally preferred over the the us junk yeah so how does that sort of factor into your thinking so we just touched on um fundamentals you also tend to talk about oil um the large sort of energy component what else are your us colleagues telling you um about uh junk and do you agree yeah my us colleagues tend to be lot more bearish than i am because one the companies there borrow to the hilt all sorts of corporate actions are debt fueled in america because of the tax laws and so on uh net supply in us high yield very positive in us investment grade has gone gung ho this year despite high yields by the way so it is showing up in the matrix the us metrics have dropped a lot more than us their view 12 months forward is negative that's the first thing two uh you did ask me about uh, the sector uh dispersion in the us versus us yeah oil now with the view being that this higher for longer is going to cause either a soft landing which means you know growth is going to be low and slow not negative or it can get very negative in that sort of a view you're not going to have, without this palestine uh, israel war which is a very recent occurrence yep. you would have expected oil to go down lower and in that sort of a scenario that is the 18 19% of the index by the way so you're not going to have a great time i mean the war has happened it is going to keep oil prices higher i guess For things the, are going for to the medium term, uh, yeah. for the medium term probably us high yield will do better than what my guys have thought about before yep. uh but i mean the survey happened before the war yeah, so exactly. i can clearly see why europe was preferred over us uh, the war might help us high yield on the margin yep and then now we get to kind of i guess the ratings and sectors question um and so my question to you is we are very defensively positioned in the survey you know how much more uh defensive can investors get um and w- what are your thoughts around positioning and becoming more cyclical and when that when that would uh likely happen but basically we are defensive um we are slightly underweight um so you know it's more of the same but I'd I'd like to understand sort of you know can you kind of put it in context of you know how 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 investors will make the most of that how can they kind of take risk now I think the question is uh how are investors views and portfolios split by rating and sectors let's address that first um uh, investors once again are very positive on investment grade 
I mean, the way we ask the question is choose between uh, triple C, single B, double B and investment grade, uh, very overweight to yeah. very underweight. And the answer is clear. Investment grade and double Bs are the pockets of choice. Investment grade is clearly number one. I can understand why. I think we've discussed it yeah, in depth. Yeah. Uh, in two of the three scenarios, you're going to have investment grade perform. Only in the you know the end of the world type of scenario that we are talking about, great recession. That that even there, by the way, because of the underlying yield component, investment grade will do well. High yield won't. So uh, I I am not surprised that uh, people love IG. Yeah. By the way, compared to last quarter, I think that low has sort of increased a bit more because mm -hmm. high yield has performed quite quite well yeah, exactly. last quarter. So it is also sort of them saying that okay, we we been no rate high yield. Uh, even if we didn't like high yield, it is it, it's done too well. Yeah. Here. And as a result, I think we'll start switching into IJ. I can't really blame them. Yeah, that's part one. Within high yield, you know, double B, uh, single B, triple C, as we just spoke, I think with four point nine percent distress, why would anybody want to be overweight triple C? Yes, they pay you one thousand two hundred, but for a reason. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so I mean, given the pressures on fund managers and so on on costs and fees and so on. I can totally understand. I would just stay away from that lot. Sleep easy at night. Yeah, sleep easy. And the carry doesn't drop much because the triple C's are only 7.4, 7 7.5% of the index, mm -hmm. right? By par. By market value, it is even less. And, and what spread ratio is done between buckets? Have you got a... Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, with this extraordinary performance that we've had in 2023, it's non-stop. Yeah. All lower rated buckets, except triple C, by the way, all lower rated buckets are looking very rich compared to every higher rated bucket. Yeah. So, triple Bs look expensive to single A, double Bs look expensive to triple B, single B looks expensive to double B. Triple C, though, looks cheap. And is that a factor of people chasing beta or, I mean... People have, have chased beta. Yeah. People have chased beta extensively, and I think that yeah, and, and, and now we're here. And it, uh, yeah, and it's and it's delivered for them. So I can I can sort of understand why you would start to think that there might be some sort of decompression. It's not happening, huh? By the way, decompression. It no, looks no. like it looks like as long as you're going to have a rally, it's going to be compression only. Yep. I mean, it is not like you're going to have a higher rating led compression in the market. Not happening. Yeah. So positive, not. Huh. Positive, not bullish. Pause to not bullish. So, <laughs> so that's on the on the ratings. I think a related question you asked is on is also on the sector. That is uh, that is our last question on the yeah. survey. On the sectors, once again, uh, clearly they're they're not positive on uh, on cyclicals. Yeah. The, I mean, in the Bloomberg uh, index classification, you clearly have consumer cyclical and non cyclical as two separate sectors. On the cyclicals, they are quite bearish. Non cyclical, they are very positive. In fact. It has turned so much positive that it is number one now. It is it is beaten banking. Remember, it is a banking yep. banking used to be number one, communications number two, but now consumer non-cyclical is number one, banking is number two, communications is number three in terms of most liked. In terms of most disliked, 
consumer cyclical basic industry so on and so forth and then just on the financials on on banking given yield curve mm. and you know the potential changes in the yield curve mm. um can you just maybe talk to what the impact under those two i think it was the two scenarios that you had either the bear flat bear flattening or okay. front, you know front end steepening what 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 do you think that does to banking as a kind of if sector preference banking there are two parts to it right there is the level of rates impact on banking and then there is the curve and impact on banking generally banks make money when rates do go up yep okay because they don't pass it on to the depositor but they definitely will pass it on to the borrower as all of us can testify on mortgages and personal loans and so on that's the first thing but you have but you have the second problem which is that as do rates go up your consumer portfolio delinquencies etc will go up it hasn't been going up at the same rate as they would worry and they have provisioned very well before so in terms of impact on bank earnings given how conservative bank accounting has been it is not going to be particularly in europe by the way yeah no not like the us yeah so that's part one this part two is the curve banks benefit when the curve is very steep right you borrow front from your depositors and you lend long the problem with this higher for longer scenario and uh, the uh, and the weak outlook is you still having this flattish i wouldn't say inverted but very flattish slash and slash inverted curve which is not great for banks so in terms of the carry trade they are not doing as much which is why yeah. lending is suffering if you notice obviously the rates themselves means demand is lower from the customers but banks themselves are not keen to lend you are seeing it in uk mortgage yep. lending right yeah, yeah. terrible uh so many mortgages have been pulled very few product compared to before both because of demand and supply banks don't want to do more customers don't want to borrow but to borrow so uh in terms of that outlook changing uh we need to get to that second half of 2024 yep hopefully in that soft landing and hopefully the curve will go much steeper and then you'll get more liquidity um can i just ask one one question um sure. before we before we wrap up so you mentioned um you know questions you get from investors so mm. why not just give us a quick sort of what are investors asking you currently what are the main things that are that are coming up that haven't come up in the survey yeah i mean i think you covered quite a few of them that maturity yeah, sorry. Wall, <laughs> that, that that maturity wall is a very popular question how much transition between investment grade and high yield is another question which i have covered yeah. in my in my fallen angel rising star answer yeah uh, by the way for for the purpose of our listeners we have a dedicated deck for that addressing fallen angel versus rising star the the difference in the flux yeah it is currently very positive by the way and if the base case scenario plays out i don't see it changing yeah so what else do i get asked uh nowadays we are we are quite active in the frontier markets like in loans and in clo now popular question is is our loans getting how loans got in too risky yeah because of a lot of covenant light and so on and as a result will loan defaults go up significantly and you don't think even i mean it will it will go up but don't but get me not, wrong not but it is not this this yeah i probably 2 2 and a half max yeah. i mean i don't know every loan credit because uh you know we don't have a proper loan index in uh, easily accessible index so i'm probably thinking that you're going to get 
you know, two, two and a half, two, two and a half there while high yield one and a half at peak, by yep. the way. Uh, but the problem in the loan market, as I just said, is because it's floating rate, it's great for the investor, but not great for the issuer. As we just said, for in yeah, terms exactly. of banks, yeah, yeah. the same thing for the leverage loan issuer. Because Euribor has been hitting records, it's like 3.9 now. Ridiculous. So 3.9 plus loan spread, you need to pay like 9%. So, an average loan yield right now is 9% plus. And we, we sort of adjusted between, so another client question has been, huh, it's, it's not exactly the, you know, 1.9 or 2% difference. Please adjust for ratings. So, we've done that too. Okay. So, once you adjust for ratings between loans and high yield, it's still 1%. Okay. So, the Euribor plus single B, which is bulk of yeah, the loan market. Yeah, yeah minus single B high yield yield, non-financial, yep. you're still looking at 1%. Okay. So that is why despite the, you know, the starvation we are feeling in high yield, you're still getting more in high yield than in leverage loan. Yeah, yeah, understood, understood. Yeah. Thank you. So I think that concludes our podcast. Thanks everyone for listening all the way and for all uh, survey data, and all research and other uh, credit market data, please visit our dashboard, BISTRTE, uh, the one place uh, to visit for everything credit market. Uh, thank you all and see you in the next podcast in November. Thank you.